Hello, my name is Mark Gibson, and you're listening to the podcast version of the Chagask Signpost series, a weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. The Signpost webinar series is brought to you in association with the National Rural Network, Food Drink Ireland, and Dairy Sustainability Ireland. The Department of Agriculture and the Marine has recently published a draft strategy for the agri-food sector. Uh, The 2030 Agri-Food Strategy aims to set Ireland on a trajectory to become a world leader in sustainable food systems over the next decade. The strategy aims to deliver significant benefits for the Irish agri-food sector itself, for the Irish society and the environment. And we're delighted to be joined by Tom Arnold, who is Independent Chair of the 2030 Strategy Agri-Food Strategy Committee this morning on this morning's webinar. So, Tom, you're very welcome to the webinar. Thank you very much, Mark. Tom, before we get to your presentation, maybe you could tell us a little bit about the work, I suppose, how, how you came to uh, become chair of the, uh, this strategy group and maybe a little bit about your background and, uh, and maybe some context to the overall process. Okay, thank you. And uh, firstly, to, to say just it is a real pleasure to, to have this chance to talk to, to a Chagask organised event. Uh, Chagask has, uh, and the advisory service has played an important part of my life. I spent five years as economist with, a, with then ACOT um, in, in 1983 to 88, before it became Chagask. And I have very fond memories of that. You're coming today from, from uh, Athen Rye. I recall some of the great people dealing with, dealt with in Athen Rye, people like Johnny Wierski, Pat Mahan, Bernard O'Farrell, Bernie Smith. Um, and all great colleagues and also great friends. So it's a real pleasure from the, to, to, to join you. I don't imagine there's too many people in the audience who worked with me in, 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 in ACOT stroke Chagas 33 years ago. Pat Murphy is one of them. But um, I went from there to the Department of Agriculture where I, I as Chief Economist and then Assistant Secretary, I moved from there to uh, Concern where I was for, um, 13 years till I retired in, in 2013. It seems I've got busier since I retired and I've done a variety of different things. And one of the most, one of the last things is indeed to chair this session. I mean, why I was asked to chair it is for somebody else to decide, but basically I suppose uh, I have a wide range of experience at both European and international and national level. Hopefully that, uh, uh, impacted on, on the decision. Anyway, it was a great, it's been a great pleasure. It was a group of uh, 32 people uh, for the committee, the 2030 committee, and we've worked steadily to produce that. So what I would like to do today in, in if I can m- move to the presentation, is to go through indeed, uh, talk briefly at the beginning about the process by which uh, we, uh, we, di- we went about our work I just want to talk about the first, the the structure of the presentation that I have today. I hope it'll take about 25 minutes. And then I very much welcome the chance to talk, to have questions and and exchange of views. I thought it was useful maybe at the very beginning um, on one slide, just talk about what I think are turning point moments over the last 50 years. I'll briefly deal with that. And then go on to the strategy itself. That what, in terms of reference, what we were asked to do, the process by which we went about it, what are the key recommendations? We've, we've basically decided, decided to, to, to set out what, were, what do we call four missions, high level missions 
and goals, subsidiary policy goals uh, to attain those missions. And then go at, towards the end of the presentation towards what I was asked to talk about, the environmental ambition. And I want to put it in a wider international context where Ireland's agri-food, 2030 agri-food strategy fits into this wider context, particularly into the context of the food system summit that's coming up later in, later in the year. So next slide, please. If I go back to what over <laughs> all this long period of time where uh, I've been following these things, I think these are the really important uh, moments uh, over the last 50 years where change happened either through politics or policy. And basically that's set, uh, reset the world that something like Ch uh, Chagas was going to have to adapt to. Uh, Ireland's entry to the EEC, obviously, of, of major importance. The, EEC, the EU milk quote in 84, the first day I came into my new job in, 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 in ACOT in, in, 20, in 1983, the director, Liam Downey, said to me, I want you to come up with a, what, should, what should our policy be towards a milk quota? We didn't have a milk quota at that stage but uh, it, it came shortly afterwards. And it, 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 it remained, of course, then up until, uh, up until uh, 2015. A big moment in, was definitely the, the reform, the cap reform in 1982. It came into, into, into effect in 1983, but that meant basically from a, a price to income support. That was the big change. Up till then, you had uh, a price support, which gave rise to beef mountains, butter mountains, et cetera, et cetera. It wasn't sustainable. It had to change. It, when it did happen, it, it meant that in the Department of Agriculture at the time, there had a major shift towards enab enabling farmers to be paid, uh, you know, their direct payments. And I can tell you the, the level of political pressure to deliver that was quite something at the time. And then we saw over the subsequent years, the, the, you know, a cap as it, as it became more complex, increasing focus on the agri-environment, food safety, animal welfare, rural development, all that. And then another moment of really great significance, and particularly for Ireland, the abolition of the quota in, in 2015. But subsequent to that, you know, we're beginning to gear up towards another reform of the cap. And that was done following a, a Europe-wide public consultation 2018-2019 and out of that a very clear statement from the Commission that we were heading towards a greener cap in the future and that was further exempt, uh, further if you like emphasized by the big decision in, in December 2019 that Europe was going for what European Green Deal, uh, a clear commitment to, that Europe was going to be the first climate neutral continent by 2050. And for the agriculture sector particularly, there were two subsidiary uh, uh, strategies, the farm to fork strategy and the biodiversity strategy. And so what I'm, my contention is that we have reached another turning point moment now in terms of public policy. And it is, it is around sustainability. So it wasn't any surprise that we were given that as the center of our terms of reference. And that's what we've attempted to, to deliver. So we're being pushed in this direction, but not just by politics and policy. We're being pushed by the marketplace. And all around the, the, the 2030 committee, we had members of the processing sector and the people who are charged with selling Irish food. And they came with a very simple message. It is sustainability that we have to deliver. The journey, how we went about it, 
uh, was that uh, we had uh, we were given that terms of reference, uh, develop a vision, etc., to ensure the economic, environmental, and social sustainability of the sector. Thirty-two person committee. Uh, we started our work in November. We, we, we really, in effect, started it in, in, in January of 2020. Um, and then not too long afterwards, COVID came along. So uh, we, we only had three actual face-to-face -face, face meetings. The rest was done by, by, by Zoom. Um, and we, we got to the point where we, we were able to publish a draft strategy on the 17th of April. And it wasn't just a draft 2030 strategy, which I'll be talking about in a bit more detail. There is, if you like, companion documents, an environmental report, which is assessing the, the, the environmental implications of what we are recommending in the strategy. And also a, a, another document called an appropriate assessment, which is looking at some of the more, the nature-based EU schemes and looking at the impact of those. So let's look to uh, the, the strategy in its, its historical context. The fifth, it is the fifth such strategy for, since 2020. You're probably familiar with, with some of the others, but more recently, the, the more recent ones, Food Harvest 2020, Foodwise 2025. Each of these strategies, I think, have been of their time. The Food Harvest 2020 really anticipated the, even though it came out around 2010, it anticipated that there would be an abolition of the milk quota. And that gave a policy framework for uh, people beginning to plan for that day when that happened. Foodwise 2025 was really focusing on uh, how the sector could grow uh, the, the value and the value added of what it produced. But there was in Food, Foodwise 2025 a, a really important statement, and it said it was a guiding principle that environmental protection and economic competitiveness are equal and complementary. One will not be achieved at the expense of the other. Well, now that's not quite what happened. Uh, what happened was that indeed Foodwise, Food Harvest, Foodwise 2025 delivered in terms of increased output, the value of exports and value added, but at the expense of the environment. And the EPA, very clear statement on that, the economic, the economic growth in recent years has occurred at the expense of the environment as witnessed by the negative trends in water quality, greenhouse gas emissions, ammonia emissions, and biodiversity. So we also need to look at, uh, at the strategy against the background of changing Irish climate policy. I think it is true to say that from 2010 on, onwards, Irish climate policy steadily lost credibility nationally and internationally, and there were ratings and published doc documents to support that. The thing that got political uh, attention was the Taoiseach's admission in 2018 that Ireland was a climate, climate laggard. And then at a more, a more substantial uh, moment was the Supreme Court judgment in July 2020 which said that the 2017 National Mitigation Plan was inadequate, essentially, and it had to be it had to be upgraded. So, what the government that actually coincided, of course, with a new government, with with involving the Green Party, with a new program for government, which very clearly said there was needed to be increased increased ambition, uh, and then that has been taken a step further by the Climate Action Amendment Bill. Uh, which provides for the setting of five-year carbon budgets for each economic sector to force a reduction in emissions. The, the wider international background, of course, is also a factor here. I mean, there's been, following on from the European Green Deal, there's been actually 
decisions to heighten the level of ambition within Europe, European climate policy. And then obviously more recently, the arrival of Joe Biden in the White House has uh, also achieved, moved in that same direction. So what, in terms of when we sat down in effectively in January of 2020 to, to work towards producing a new strategy, we were informed by what has been happening internationally in, in more recent years, particularly the last five to eight years, the acknowledgement that there is a connection between food, health and the environment. And that has evolved into what's been called a food systems approach. And that was the approach that we decided at the beginning that we would take in framing our strategy. Now, just to be clear what this means in practical terms, it means that we, there, we would look to an explicit link being made between selected aspects of policies for food, for health and for the environment. And also that we would attempt to think through the roles and responsibilities of all the main actors in the food chain and spell that out as we work towards a vision for a sustainable food system for 2030. I mean, there has been a tendency in the past to think about food strategies uh, as being predominantly focused on what's happening within the farm gate. Our strategy is a very clear statement that if we're going for sustainability, everyone from the, the input supplier uh, to, to the farmer, to the processor, to the retailer, to the citizen, to the consumer, all have a role to play in working towards a sustainable food system. So moving to the next slide then, uh, we, we can see that the other critical thing, of course, to say is that the, the, the context within which we, have, uh, we, we, we were uh, developing our strategy was radically different than the context within which <coughs> Foodwise 2025 was, was framed. And I mean, part, the main elements of that change context were that the role of the agri-environment had become much more important politically, uh, that there, were, there are clear consumer preferences about sustainably produced food. And many of the big food companies, whether national or international, are each following their own sustainability agendas for 2030. And that's been reflected into the demands of the people who supply them. The four, at the more macro level, the four major, what we call shaping issues for the next decade, we, we, we concluded were the evolving global food economy, increased population, increased uh, middle-class people who can afford uh, more high quality food, planning within human and planetary boundaries. That sense that clearly there has to be more significant action on the environment if we are to, to tackle the climate change problem, Brexit and, it, and its consequences. And then the, the, you know, the, the thing that hadn't, wasn't there when we started our work, COVID, and but obviously COVID is there and COVID has to be thought about. So they were, if you like, the major shaping factors that we, 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 we have, that influenced how we analyze the future and what we wrote about it. The actual strategy report itself, it's a long document, it's over 140 pages, and the other two supplementary documents are, are also long documents, so not everyone is going to have to have read it. Anyone who has re read it probably have focused on the executive summary. So this is the structure of the report, a foreword by me at the beginning, an executive summary, which is about 15 pages, and then setting the scene, the introduction and context, uh, and then the four missions. These are the four high-level policy directions that 
we believe are necessary in order to achieve this vision of a sustainable fuel system in the future. And first and foremost, first, uh, you know, not surprisingly, is a very substantial chapter on a climate smart, environmentally sustainable sector. Second, viable and resilient primary producers with enhanced well-being. There was, a, I think, a very clear sense around the table from farming representatives that meant the other strategies, while they were had achieved their aims in terms of increasing exports and value added, et cetera, et cetera, that hadn't adequately reflected back in, to the welfare of farmers. And so that was the basis for a very clear decision, I think, that we needed to put that issue of viable and resilient primary producers with enhanced well-being uh, you know, as, as being central to this strategy. Then the issue of safe, that's food that is safe, nutritious and appealing, trusted at home and abroad. I think there's a very good quality chapter there. And then finally, this idea, an innovative, competitive and resilient sector driven by technology and talent. That's all about the whole world of agri-tech that uh, Chagask is doing a lot of good work in, the whole world of the bioeconomy, et cetera. So with the, these were the four chapters with e each of them having particular actions, policy recommendations essentially attached to each of them. And that's what we have done. And, and then we've a, a final chapter, which is hugely important, I think, implementation arrangements, because there, you know, there has to be, I mean, we say that there's policy on its own is unless it's, it's implemented, isn't going to be uh, much, much good. And within that, for example, there is a, a recommendation that the, an environmental oversight committee uh, should be there basically to see if things are not moving in the right direction that I've spotted early enough mm -hmm. and acted upon. So what are the key recommendations then? Firstly, we really did attempt to meet our terms of reference to policy to deliver economic, environmental and social sustainability. And each of them, you know, in their own right, I, I think in the past, uh, you could argue that, uh, you know, environmental uh, objectives were set down but not delivered upon. In the past, mm -hmm. I think so there wasn't the adequate uh, emphasis on social sustainability. So we've tried to acknowledge that each of these in their own right are important, but also that they can't be judged or thought about in, in a compartmentalized way. There is an important interplay between them. And if you look through the whole report, working towards each dimension of sustainability draws on policies across the four missions. There is a really important issue here about how you, if you set out a target, how you begin to work towards that target. And here again, I'm using for the next few slides, quotations from the report, which I think are, are really relevant. And this is one of them. The issue of policy sequencing, timeframes for implementing policy, and the use of the just transition approach will be important. There are trade-offs between the different dimensions of sustainability. These need to be acknowledged and a willingness shown to reach realistic compromises on the direction of change and the speed at which it can take place. And the strategy sets out the agenda from which such choices and decisions can be made. It's very important to say this. The strategy is, if you like, a policy framework. It's not the last word on, on, on anything, really, but it, it's a framework within which we propose we should be working towards. There's going to be supplementary decisions of a more detailed nature, which are going to have to be taken along the way. The, the strategy's big idea, 
and this is, I think, it's in line with the world we're living in. But I think we should, we, it, 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 almost to some extent, it's, it's making a virtue out of necessity. The strategy's central objective is that Ireland should become an international leader in sustainable food systems over the next decade. This is not something that you can turn a switch and it can be achieved overnight. This is a process and it's a challenging process. And but we do start by saying that if we recognize there needs to be a profound shift towards more sustainable policies and actions nationally and internationally. If we can achieve that shift, then this is what, the, what you see on the screen here is where we hope to get to. The future source of competitive advantage uh, uh, for the Irish agri-food sector lies in being able to demonstrate that it can meet the highest standards of sustainability in all its forms, not just environmental, such that it can be considered among the world leaders in the field. And that's the basis on which we can hopefully gain market share and hope in some cases gain a premium price for what we sell. That is not an easy task, gaining a premium price in world food markets, but if we are to have any chance of doing it, it's, it's on the basis of our sustainability credentials. If that, if that does happen for us, what will it mean in terms of the shape of the sector? And we look to the next slide now. It's going, to have to, it's going to have to mean big changes, big changes for the sector for, and helped and, and in association with government and with society. But there's a clear, one clear statement that has to, is going to have to be achieved. The sector should aim to become climate neutral by 2050 with verifiable progress by 2030, encompassing emissions, biodiversity and water quality. At a more practical level, to, to, the sector becomes more diversified, resilient and based on circular economy principles. But, and this is important, the core of Irish Ireland's agri-food output will continue to be grass-based livestock production, wherein lies Ireland's natural advantage. And we will obviously continue to, to look at uh, selling into a, an increasingly diversified range of export markets and hopefully to get a, a premium price. Coming to the, you know, almost coming back to our terms of reference, restatement about the centrality of working towards economic, environmental, and social sustainability. Uh, you can re read that there. Uh, I, I mean, I just perhaps would, I'd be talking a bit more about ag climatize and how it connects to the overall vision for the future. But on the social sustainability, I mean, the reality that uh, we should be setting this strategy in that wider context of a stronger national focus on rural and regional development. So the other document, the other national document report published in recent weeks on rural development really has to be seen as, as a companion document to our document, because I think there's going to be more possibility for in the post COVID world of people working at home, there's going to be changes in work patterns, the importance of broad, effective broadband right across the country, uh, more important. So that's the, but I, I, so I think there is a coherence in terms of, in, of national policy between what we are saying in the 2030 strategy and uh, some of the other things that are happening. There's also at, at another level, uh, the, the, this strategy I think has brought an innovation as we see in the next slide, which we do, where we talk about policy coherence. And uh, whereas we had talked in Foodwise 2025, for example, about both economic and environmental sustainability, this strategy is the first to make a direct connection with health policy. 
and it proposes that the issue of food and health should be brought to a new level of political and policy importance. But this is going to require both a whole of government and a whole of society approach. And I think when we get through this COVID crisis, uh, I think that would be a fitting moment to have a national conversation about uh, health policy generally, but specifically about food and health. At a practical level, we're proposing that there should be a high level group between the Department of Agriculture, Food and Marine, and the Department of Health to work in areas where they're already working in, but it should be given a, an additional momentum. Areas such as Healthy Ireland, the National Obesity Strategy, and the One Health, One World uh, approach. And then an area which obviously I'm particular, particularly interested in, the need to have a, a policy coherence between what we're doing at home and what we're doing in our, in our foreign and development policy. And I want to move, you know, as we're coming to the end of this presentation to the issue of uh, the environmental ambition. Mission one uh, on climate smart, environmentally sustainable agri-food sector and its seven goals reflects the political and policy importance of this issue. Uh, we, 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 are still, we still await uh, the establishment of a five-year carbon budget for the sector. Uh, and in, that, in the absence of that, we couldn't in our strategy propose a detailed plan for the delivery of a carbon neutral sector by 2050. But what we have in, indicated are certain parameters, policy directions and milestones. And one important uh, statement in that regard is from climate, Ag Climatize, where it says that it's clear that there, an increase in the national cattle herd above current levels would jeopardize the achievement of climate neutrality by 2050. So what instead, what we have done in our strategy is set a series of what are challenging targets for emissions, water quality and diversity, biodiversity for 2030. But we don't, our strategy does not resolve what the respective roles of dairy, beef and dairy should be in working towards that, those targets. And we are suggesting that a, a separate additional process it will have to be undertaken looking at the respective environmental footprints of beef and dairy sector uh, in working towards those 2030 targets and that process to be completed by uh, Q2 of 2022. The immediate, the, 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 the immediate implementation of ag climatize is obviously a high priority and it is clear that ag climatize will have to be updated to ensure consistency with new targets which are emerging either nationally or internationally and the five-year carbon budget in particular is going to be of relevance there. We are signaling that we are going to move towards uh, over the next decade uh, more carbon farming. I mean if the world needs uh, to, uh, to, to deal with the, the, the climate crisis and if the agri-food sector as one of the critical sectors which can contribute to solving that problem through increased sequestration, it's going to have to have a, a policy framework and incentives to enable it to do that. And what we are suggesting in our strategy is that this work has to proceed, it has to accelerate in fact, and in fact other areas such as forestry uh, and renewable energy have to come into play uh, to a much greater extent. I'm almost at the end. I have two slides left to, uh, to, to, to attempt to capture uh, what, what uh, this whole presentation is about, has been about. And it's this, that we are proposing policies which have actually a high ambition of Ireland becoming a world leader in sustainable food systems. 
But it's important to set it as the background, if you like, that producing sustainable food is now, it's a basic entry point. The challenge for us as a country is whether we can build a sustainable food system that can actually become a source of strategic competitive advantage. And if that can be done, that's the basis for transferring prices back to better prices back to the farmer. It's important to note that Ireland is actually the only country that has developed its current national agri-food strategy using a food systems approach. So there's very considerable interest in what we've done. Uh, there's a great deal of work going on in, in preparing for the Food Systems Summit in September, and Ireland is playing a, a really important role in that work. There's a lot of very good collaboration between the Department of Agriculture and the Department of Foreign Affairs in preparing for this and in, in positioning ourselves so that we can say we have actually something quite important and quite unique in, in our planning for the future. And then my final slide is that I think we are, we, we have taken in the strategy, we've taken, I think, a very realistic view of, this, of the decade ahead. But the overall sense and feeling of our report is positive uh, and will highlight significant opportunities for Ireland. And if that can be achieved, it, we, can, we believe that that can deliver both economic benefits, which can be ultimately translated down to the farmer, and political benefits. And coming back to, if you like, the 50-year the, the perspective of, of how the world changes, I think if we can get into this leader position, leadership position in the sustainable food systems, it really, really will open the door to the next stage of transformation and value addition in the sector. And anyone who's tracked it, and many of you will have done, we've, we've moved from being a producer of commodity products up until the 1990s to being currently uh, an internationally competitive food sector. But we can build on that to become, uh, I think, a leading supplier of policy advice and services to countries on track to developing their own version of a sustainable food system. And Africa in particular, I think, should represent a particularly buoyant market for such services. So that, in, in brief, although 30 minutes is, is enough time to, to talk about anything, that is what uh, this strategy is about. And I very much welcome the chance now to engage with, with whoever wishes uh, to, to talk about it. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Tom. And uh, thank you for the, I, I appreciate the time was relatively short, but I think you, you managed to encapsulate the, the thrust of what's what's in the strategy. Um, and look, there's, there's no doubting the ambition within this strategy. Um, I think everybody will agree with that. Um, just looking at I suppose, some of the questions coming through there from our, our viewers, uh, I suppose everybody's wondering, you know, the implementation obviously is going to be crucial here and how uh, this is the, you know, the targets. I know there are a number of targets set out in the document around methane and, and uh, some other environmental indicators. Could you maybe share your thoughts on the that next stage of implementation and uh, uh, actually translating this strategy into an action plan and and uh, actual change on the ground? Yeah, there's a very very clear recognition that this the next stage of implementation is of huge importance. Um, what the strategy in its current form does not have is a detailed um, um, 
program of implementation. It has uh, the principles uh, that it will operate to, um, which involves, uh, you know, oversight um, uh, targets which are to be monitored carefully and, and course corrections where, where necessary. We will have, in, we're going through this two month consultation period now to be finished by mid-June. Uh, that will lead to some changes in the strategy because obviously we, we should be taking on board uh, comments that people will have made, if, particularly if they can improve, work towards the improvement of what's in there in the draft document. Uh, but there's also been, and many people may be aware of this, we've sponsored what's called national dialogues, national food dialogues uh, for webinars, which have been very useful, I think, uh, to, and they're all focused on different elements of the strategy. So we're also, we had the one on last, earlier this week, which may have mentioned from, from Chagas took part in. Um, and we will also be taking on, into account what they uh, throw up. So the, the implementation will, the, the, the final version of the, of, the, uh, of the document will provide a good deal more detail about the implementation arrangements which are, are in place, are to be put in place uh, at the oversight level. But equally, there are a real sense that the, the key parties of the uh, involved in drawing up the strategy, the key stakeholders will each have, if you like, beside them, what they are committing to, uh, to implement. It's, it's uh, has been widely reported uh, that the environmental uh, pillar represented at the committee um, did have uh, reservations. I, I think was that probably the best way to describe it about some of the, maybe the, 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 the level of ambition within the, the strategy. Um, where is that at now? Um, and I suppose, where would you like to see that going? Yeah, well, the environmental pillar pulled out on, on, at our meeting on the 25th of February, uh, saying that they didn't feel that their views were being sufficiently taken into account. Uh, I think the reality was that we, we were still at a, an early draft of an early draft of the document. Uh, I, I thought that we were moving towards taking their views into account. But in any way, they also signaled when they did pull out that they wanted to keep talking. And they've subsequently had a meeting with the three ministers uh, in the Department of Agriculture and with myself. Uh, so there are lines of engagement uh, have been retained. Uh, in the first of the National Food Dialogues, their, their representative on the, from the pillar who had sat on the, on the committee, Karen Suseski, uh, was on one of the panels, which I think was a very welcome development. And also a few days subsequent to that, they published their own document, uh, which again, I think is, is a very useful contribution uh, to the national debate. In many cases, there are strong elements of overlap between uh, what they, they what uh, they, they were proposing, and what is now already in the strategy. There are other elements where there isn't a congruence of of, of support. Of support. Uh, so I think it you know it remains up to it remains to be seen what, what they what what they do. I think very much the door is opened for them to rejoin the process, and I do say in my foreword to the document that the ideal situation here is that this agri-food strategy in its final form 
should achieve a high level of political and societal consensus. That would be the best basis for actually getting it implemented, but it would also be the best basis for Ireland being able to present itself as a really serious, uh, you know, a serious player in working towards this uh, objective of having a sustainable food system and having that message which, say, which is able to say, this is our national policy, we're committed to implementing it, and we want other countries to move in the same direction. And that's the relevance of being able to go to the Food System Summit in September, at which Ireland will be represented by the Taoiseach, and being able to say that and be able to point to our national strategy, signed off, committed to, and, and you know, committed to, to, to being achieved. Looking at the, the economic uh, leg of the, the sustainability stool, um, I know from speaking to a lot of farmers, you know, they would say, look, it, it, there, there's money, there's cost involved in compliance and, and improving the environmental standards of their farming systems. There's capital investments and so forth. Um, how do you see in the future how we can send stronger signals through the market to 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 uh, uh, the farm at farm level because I know that that's one of the ambitions within the strategy is to to have a, a better distribution of value along the the, the food supply chain. Um, how, how can we overcome this? Uh, I suppose the, the cheap food uh, paradigm that we live in at the moment uh, is that something that you see is sustainable in the future. It's very much a matter for debate, I think, um, and it's, it's becoming an increasing topic for debate, not just in Ireland, but internationally. Uh, I mean, first to say that the, many of the farm representatives around the committee were very clear that they see um, that they have been asked to achieve higher environmental standards, and it's not being reflected in the price they're getting uh, for what they produce. And there is considerable empirical evidence to support that view. So uh, what we are saying in the strategy is that th that needs to be taken account of. If, if society, European and Irish society, wants this agri-food sector to fully contribute to uh, achieving climate goals, there has to be clarity and greater, greater uh, framework of policy and incentives to, to assist in that direction. So that farmers are being, if they're being asked to do something, there, there's a reward for it. And there's a very clear sentiment expressed in the document that uh, the, the role of the sector is going to have to move from being seen as purely a producer of food. And of course, there, within that, there's a debate as to what price food should, should, be, should get but to a producer of, of goods, of, of agri-environmental agri, agri services for which they are paid. So there's a lot, of, a lot of balancing to be done here and a lot of policy evolution to take place, I think, over the next period of time. But certainly uh, the role of the farmer uh, in, in, in contributing in a positive way towards achieving our national climate targets, I think has to be recognized. I mean, I, would, I started out with this exercise by hoping that we could get to the point where we would see the, the sector as being a positive contributor to the problem of climate change uh, and, and to its solution. 
And I think that's very much the spirit in which we, this document has been written. Oh, and I think that's very welcome because I think often when we talk about climate change, we, we tend to think of the negative or the, the, the challenges rather than uh, the opportunities. Pat, we have a lot of questions coming through there, so I better move swiftly to, to our audience questions. Um, so I'll hand over to okay, you. Well, I think the first couple of questions you, you have have, have uh, mirrored a good number of the ones that we're seeing. Uh, but a question here, how can we address uh, much fear that currently permeates the agricultural sector for the future and sustainability, in particular, of, of small farm holdings? Sorry, Pat, could you repeat that? How can we address much fear that currently permeates the agricultural sector uh, for their future and their sustainability, and in particular for smaller holdings? Well, I mean, there's, there's no question there is, this is a very real issue because, I mean, many smaller farmers, uh, you, you know, there's, there's some possibilities to improve uh, their welfare through increased efficiency and productivity. And I suppose that's been the business of, of Chagasco over decades at this stage. Uh, but there's equally the, the realization that uh, some of the answer to this problem, this dilemma is through, uh, diversifying um, income sources. And that's where the emphasis on more regional and rural uh, development and, and technology and broadband, et cetera, come into play. But there's an age, an age dimension to this obviously as well, because for, for older farmers, it's not going to be as easy to uh, avail of some of, some of, these, uh, some of these new opportunities. So we are, this is where in the, in the issue of social sustainability in the sector, we are looking at acknowledging those, those factors and, you know, looking at the, the needs of older farmers as well. Uh, there's there's this important issues about, you know, mental health and, and, and loneliness being dealt with um, also. So, I mean, it's around that mix of things, I think, Pat, um, there's no, there's no sort of easy answers to this question, but it is in the it, it is in, in trying to get a more vibrant and diversified rural economy at the heart of you know of policy, and and supporting that and hoping that that's going to generate more opportunities for people on smaller holdings uh, to actually have a decent farm household income. Question there. Um... When will the strategy be reviewed uh, to see if it's making matters better or worse? Um, and I suppose, uh, I suppose the, the, the question really is, uh, to what degree are we going to check what's going on on an ongoing basis, as opposed to it being a plan that, that hits the shelf? <coughs> well, certainly, I, I think the whole idea of, of having monitoring and uh, monitoring arrangements in place that assesses what's happening in real time. I mean, you're not going to get every six months uh, sort of major changes, but there really does need to be, I, I would say in this strategy in particular, um, there sh we should be thinking about a, a midterm review, sort of it's a, it's a strategy for the decade. But by about 2023, 24, uh, I think we would need to see, uh, you know, positive developments in a whole number of areas. And in particular, I, I think uh, the whole agri-environmental agri indicators there, 
that, that we have to get on a trajectory of change in those which makes which ensures that we're actually going to achieve the 2030 targets that we're, we were committed to. Um, I think there'll obviously be, be other measures, indicators of how quickly we're delivering uh, better services in rural areas. The rollout of broadband, for example, is going to be a very practical thing. So I think we should be building in the, a sort of a culture of continuous review and assessment um, and you know, accountability for are the policies being put in place and then are, are they delivering? Um, and do that in a, you know, a very pragmatic and, and, and realistic uh, timeframe. A question here, uh, does the agri-food uh, strategy contain a detailed commitment to the early restoration of Ireland's vanishing biodiversity? Uh, and is there an, an understanding of the ecosystem services required? I think so. I mean, I, I, there, there'll be debate about this with the environmental pillar as to whether we're going far enough. But there's a very strong section on, I think, on biodiversity. Uh, I mean, it's open to debate whether it could be could be stronger or not. But I think there's a, a, a full recognition that the issue of biodiversity of, is, is of enormous importance. And I think that recognition is, is happening now, you know, globally as well. There's a I suppose in the last couple of years in particular, the, the, the data that's emerging about the number of species that are under threat or are, or are vanishing uh, is very stark. And the, the, the whole COVID crisis has also brought into focus the, uh, you know, the, the need to make sure that we, I mean, we talk about one world, one welfare uh, and one health. So there's a very definite uh, recognition of the interconnectedness of things. I think our strategy is fully reflects that. Um, and I think the detail of what is in it, uh, I think also reflects it. A question here, uh, and again, it might be a, a, a difficult one to, to, to answer in a very short space of time. What kind of social indicators would you envisage uh, a kind of uh, explaining or, or demonstrating the, the success of, of uh, I suppose, uh, social inclusion elements of, the, of the, the, the plan. We acknowledge in the document that we're, we're probably not quite there yet in terms of having an agreed set of, of social uh, indicators to, to reflect this. But what we, in, in saying that you know, social sustainability is actually a really important part of the wider sustainability uh, proposition. Um, we accept that more work needs to be done on that. Uh, but I mean, there are certain areas where we, we should be looking, I mean, there's a strong emphasis, for example, on uh, safety, safety on the farm, where practical things can be done in the short term. There's a strong recognition that the, um, the COVID crisis has brought to light, uh, you know, some very positive things in our society and in our rural society about people looking after, looking after each other. And we should be building on some of that as well. And if you like, turning it into more uh, agreed measures of how we, 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 we look to uh, ensuring that social sustainability uh, throughout the country is, is measured. 
Okay, uh, a couple of questions here, very similar. Uh, should farmers be paid uh, for providing ecosystem uh, services such as carbon sequestration for the benefit of the, the, the whole community? We're sending very clear signals in this document that yes is the answer to that question. Uh, how it's to be done, I mean, there's a number of examples. I know that you're having, uh, in a couple of weeks' time, you're having Brendan Dunford from the Burren Bureau there. Brendan was on our committee, made a major contribution to, to the committee and to its report. Um, and I think we are, you know, there, there's a number of the, the, particularly the EIP schemes that have been in place in, over recent years have given some very helpful suggestions as to how policy should move towards uh, paying, enabling farmers to be paid for the provision of ecosystem services. So that's, a, that's very much a, a direction of travel that the, that the strategy endorses. And indeed, there's a number of other ideas in there as to how it should be uh, implemented in practice. So I think we're, and then the whole area of carbon farming is that it's still at an early stage in our discussion. But uh, I mean, that's probably going to involve uh, agreeing on where our baseline is in terms of the status of our soils. There's a, a strong emphasis on soil health and adopting a long-term view of the importance of improving soil health and how you measure that. And all of this connects back into the agenda for uh, carbon sequestration which I think is going to become a lot more important in the coming decade. There's a question here just uh, in, uh, saying you, you mentioned compromises and that, in, in, that there was a, a failure in, the, in Food Wise 2025 uh, to, I suppose, to see that compromise between the economic output and, and environmental sustainability. What do you have in the current uh, proposal that will ensure that, that I suppose, the the competing elements of, of environment and, and economics uh, delivers on the environmental side? Well, I think we've been trying, we've tried to be very um, specific about some of the, uh, you know, the direction of travel that we, we, we need to see in terms of meeting legitimate agri-environmental uh, objectives. I mean, if, if you set big targets, uh, for a climate neutral uh, society and the climate neutral sector by particular dates, it behoves you then to begin to set intermediate targets. And that's why I think, you know, over the next three years in particular, uh, making serious progress on what's spelled out in Ag Climatize is of real importance. But I, I think there's a wider question here. I think we're going to have to work towards a, a greater level of understanding, mutual understanding between these two, if you like, sets. Let's, let's call it, to, to oversimplify it, let's call it between the farmers and the environmentalists. And we need to get to the point where there's a greater level of trust and mutual respect. And that could be the basis then to, to look forward. Uh, it probably has to be done on, on, on the basis that there is a clear recognition that the agri-food sector is actually a serious contributor to solving the climate crisis, both in terms of reducing emissions, increasing carbon sequestration, and uh, uh, dealing with renewable energy. Mm -hmm. 
But on the other side of the, of the fence, I think there has to be a recognition that there is, has to be an equivalence between economic, environmental, and social sustainability. We were not asked to produce a strategy which only met the demands of the environment. There is an economic, a legitimate economic uh, role, obviously for, for the sector as well. And in that context, you know, Ireland's role as a producer of high safe, high quality livestock products, mm -hmm. selling to a very large number of 180 countries across the world, that is a legitimate role. And even though we acknowledge that uh, there needs to be reductions in meat consumption in certain parts of the developed world, uh, the reality is that the world needs high quality protein, uh, animal source protein. And Ireland is in a very good position to produce this in a more sustainable way than many other countries. Uh, so, I mean, getting that understanding that we can reach a degree of, of uh, mutual respect and tolerance for each other's uh, opinions, th that I think should be the way we're, we're looking towards the future. And if that is the case, then, then I think we could sign off on a really progressive final version of this strategy and go forward together. Okay, uh, there's a, a, a couple of questions there in terms of alignment of our strategy uh, with the EU farm to fork and, and one that maybe is even suggesting that, that we should be pushing to go beyond some of the, the issues in farm to fork. Well, the, the thing is that farm to fork is evolving as a, as a, as a, as a, it's, it's a, it's a set of, it's a policy framework, the details of which are going to emerge over the next period of time at European level. I think the value of having a strategy such as we have now is that we're giving very clear signals of our commitment to high level ambition in this field. So when we, as a country, debate uh, to the shape the more detailed shape of farm to fork and of biodiversity uh, and of other aspects of, of evolving European policy, uh, we have this as a starting point for our discussion. As equally, we have this as a starting point for our discussion in the wider international debate uh, that's emerging. There is no question that the world is bit by bit moving to an acknowledgement that sustainable food systems has to be at the heart of national and international policy. And I think the fact that we have developed our strategy on precisely that basis puts us in a very strong position to contribute to that, to that debate at both EU and international level. Tom, I've, I've spoken to colleagues in um, the Netherlands uh, where they have implemented a, an index uh, for monitoring the environmental performance of the country alongside uh, GDP and other economic indicators. Would you be in favor of something like that in Ireland where we can you know, have some sort of a dashboard or a, a barometer of our performance? I know it's, it's there in, in, in maybe more detail, but to, to actually to, to bring that to a level where maybe the general, the citizens and, and that we can actually, I suppose, boast about our, 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 um, our performance. Very definitely. I mean, we, we say very clearly early in our document that if we are looking at this concept of sustainable food systems, we don't actually have a measurement of it internationally. That's agreed internationally. And we, are, we, we say in the document that uh, we should be working, we should be advocating for that. 
and we should be advocating that it should be developed by probably an independent uh, international organization such as the Food and Agriculture Organization, the FAO, and that Ireland should bring its own experience of developing its own strategy and the monitoring and implementation process that it's envisaging to put in place to, 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 do, to monitor that, that strategy to that international consideration. So very definitely, we, we, this is, for, for this to happen, would I think be in the Irish national interest because if we if we say we aspire to being a, a leader in this field, we need a measurement which shows that our actually performance is is you know is in keeping with our leadership ambitions. We're just coming up on time, Pat. Do we have any last burning question there? Uh, yeah, there was there was uh, I suppose a question about the uh, level of consensus within the, the, the very broad group that uh, coming out of the development of the, the strategy, have you a very strong consensus within the group? And do you feel that you have a, a strong consensus between, uh, obviously there's the issues with, with, with the, the environmental pillar, but within all other sectors, how strong do you feel the consensus towards uh, pushing forward with the achievement of, of the objective set? We, over the, Previous, we, we met in, 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 in January, uh, in February, uh, and in, in ended up in, in I'm going through different drafts of the document. Uh, when we met uh, on the, in our, at our last meeting, uh, I said that this was an almost final document and that we would take on board whatever additional comments were being made. I was very struck by the degree of I thought genuine consensus around the table. There were at that stage, not 32 people there, but there were 31 people. And there was a real sense, I think, that we had gone on a journey from January 2020, when we started our work, when we agreed that we should adopt a food systems approach to, to, to developing our strategy. There was a real sense that that was the right decision to have made and that we had delivered on that. There was a sense that we had, made a real effort to deliver on getting the balance right between the three dimensions of sustainability, economic, environmental, and social. So I think we have the basis that we have the basis for genuine consensus for the future. I hope that we can, uh, that the environmental uh, pillar can see, can come back and, and see that there is a great deal of what is in the, the draft strategy is in fact close to what they have themselves advocated. There's some other areas which probably can be further accommodated, uh, but I think we, we are on the we are on the verge of having what would be a, a document, first and foremost, important for our own national economic and social interest. But equally, if we can achieve that, that is the basis for really positioning ourselves at European and international level as being a real visionary uh, for sustainable food systems into the future. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. Mark, you're on mute. Sorry about that. I was saying, I was saying that's a, a really uh, perfect way to finish the, the session, I think, Tom. And uh, I think you, you've really um, captured the the essence of what the, the strategy is about 
Uh, I think that phrase, the, that we can't compartmentalize each component of sustainability. I think that's that to me is a, a really important point that they, they all have to be looked at collectively. And that even looking at the, the level within environmental sustainability, we can't just deal with climate change uh, in, in isolation of biodiversity and water quality. They, they, they have to be uh, brought along together. So um, thank you so much for joining us today, Tom, and I want to wish you well with the remaining uh, work that you have to do there and, and building that consensus. And I think that's, that's a really important forum for trying to develop that, I suppose, understanding between the different uh, parts or pillars involved in the, in the process. So um, if people want to contribute to that uh, public consultation, that, that remains open until uh, the end of the month, is it, Tom, or into June? Mid-June. Mid-June, Mid okay. And I presume it's, it's Department of Agriculture website yeah. that they can visit. Yeah. And there is uh, another, uh, is it one remaining dialogue that's coming up? One uh, remaining dialogue on the 17th. It's, it's Monday week. Uh, I'll be involved in it. It's, it's about the issue of policy coherence between our domestic policy on sustainable food systems and our international and foreign policy. So I, I think uh, an important matter to discuss. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you again, Tom. Pat, thanks very much for helping with questions. No problem. Thank you. Uh, just to remind you that next week we'll be joined by Bernie O'Flaherty from Law Pro, who's going to be talking to us about uh, water quality and the challenges in uh, understanding and valuing it. And uh, like Tom referred to, we'll have Brendan Dunford then the following week, uh, who's going to be talking about uh, the great work that they're doing down in the burn there also. Uh, at that, we'll, we'll wrap things up and uh, we will talk to you again. Thank you. You've been listening to the podcast version of the Chagisk Signpost series, the weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Don't forget to join us live every Friday morning for our latest webinar. For more, visit chagisk.ie. And you can also rate, review and subscribe to the Signpost series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Mark Gibson and thanks for listening.